Hello, it's Pastor Malcolm here with the service for Sunday the 24th of April. So how has your week been? What has been difficult? What has been really good? What can you say thank you to God for? Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted amongst the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It's good to hear that word from the psalmist, to be still, to know that God is God. And that despite what's going on around us in the wider world or in our own world in which we live, uh, the people we meet, the place we work, the our families, to just come and uh, trust God with all of these things. So let's come to God with prayer. Acknowledge our lives are in his hands and give thanks for his provision in our everyday life. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we say thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your love. Thank you for your faithfulness towards us. Thank you that our lives are in your hands so we might know that, Lord, we're secure with you. You are the rock on which we stand. You are the refuge that we run to in times of trouble. And we thank you, O God, that the testimony of your word is that you never let us down. We thank you that even when we go through difficult times, we can look to you and hold on to you. And we thank you that you care for us. You know everything about us, the worries and concerns in our minds, in our hearts. The things that we are not sure about, the decisions we have to make, Father, all of these things. But we thank you that you were given of your Holy Spirit to guide us and to lead us. So we say, come, come, Holy Spirit, come fill us afresh. Come upon us now as we worship, as you did with the disciples and the early church. Come refresh us, come renew us. Come bring your word into our lives, that we might glorify God with all that we are and with the gifts you have given us. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We thank you for his uh, example, his the life he lived, the, the teaching he gave. And we thank you that though he died on the cross, death could not hold him and up from the grave he arose. So we thank you that there is no greater love than that expressed through Christ. We thank you that he gave himself for us. We thank you that he broke the curse of sin and death. And we can live to, uh, lives that love and serve you. Lord, hear our prayers. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to hear a hymn that Hans, Hans going to sing to us, but you could join in too. Thine be the glory. Thine be the glory, risen, conquering sun. Endless is the victory, thine own death has won. Angels in bright raiment rolled the stone away, kept the folded grave clothes where thy body lay. 
Lead us in thy triumph to thy home above. Thine be the glory, risen, conquering Son. Endless is the victory, thine own death has won. The scripture reading is from Nehemiah and chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 1. The words of Nehemiah son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, and even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. And then into chapter 2. And from verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favour in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, How long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, 
may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the skates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence that I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. Amen. We pray God would speak to us through his word. So it's a spring morning in a palace in Susa in Persia, would be Iran today. This is about 445 years before Jesus was born. The Israelites in the Old Testament had been taken into exile because of their disobedience. Some later returned back to Israel, back to Jerusalem, but there were people like Nehemiah's family who had settled in a new place. He's sad because in chapter 1 we read he had heard news, chapter 1 verse 3, that things were not going well for the Jews in Jerusalem. And although the temple had been rebuilt, the morale was low, and in particular the walls of the city had been torn down. So he's sad. And King Artaxerxes, who he served as a personal attendant, he could see that he was sad. In those days, you wouldn't be allowed to just approach the king or, you know, put your hand up and say, excuse me, king, can I speak to you? That would be a terrible thing. You have to wait for the king to invite you to speak. But he came in with his sad face. And when the king asked about his mood, he explained, Nehemiah explained what had happened and asked to be released, to return to Jerusalem, to rebuild the city. And the king said, yes. And so the story of Nehemiah begins. And today I want us to learn three things from Nehemiah. The first is from Nehemiah chapter 1 verses 3 to 4, that Nehemiah had a burden for Jerusalem. Nehemiah could have said when he heard the news that his brother and the other guys brought, uh, that things weren't going well in Jerusalem, he could have said, well, that's how it is. What can I do about it? I'm many miles away and I have a job to do here. But that didn't happen because Nehemiah cared. Nehemiah felt the pain of the suffering of his people in Jerusalem. He felt the loss of this once proud city that had been reduced to rubble. And although the temple had been rebuilt, he saw that they still weren't the people they were called to be, that the walls were still broken, the city was still struggling. Why did he feel it so deeply? Well, first of all, He knew the destruction of the city had come about because the people of God had drifted far from God. Their disobedience had caused this destruction upon the city and their exile. And so he felt that. He felt the pain of the disobedience. That's why in his prayer he's confessing his sin before God. And he's holding God to the promise of his word that when they repent they would return and be restored to their former glory. Secondly, Nehemiah had an emotional and spiritual attachment to this city. If you read in chapter 2, verse 3, you see, this is the city where my ancestors are buried uh, that is in ruins. This was his village, his hometown that had been trashed. The graves of of his grandparents were there. And though he was uh, many thousand miles away in Susa and Persia, his heart was back in Jerusalem 
and he longed for the day when he could honour God and honour the heritage of his family by seeing that great city rebuilt again. So on the one hand, first of all, Nehemiah had a burden for Jerusalem. He felt for those people and it was in his heart to do what he could to see that city restored. But secondly, in Nehemiah in chapter 1, verse 4 to 11, Nehemiah's burden drove him to prayer. You see, prayer is hard. Most of us would like to pray more than we do. But our minds are so full of stuff that we find it hard to be quiet before God. We find it hard to focus. We find it hard to keep still for more than a few minutes and and to hear God's voice. But of course, when we look in the scriptures, we see in the New Testament, Jesus models great prayer. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, even though Jesus was in huge demand, even though he he had this hectic life, he moved around all the time, we read that very early in the morning when it was still dark, Jesus went to a solitary place where he prayed. If it was important for Jesus, surely it's important for us, taking time to talk to God, to listen, to be led by the Holy Spirit. This is the most important thing we can do. Do we not bring so much anxiety and stress into our lives? When we try to do life in our own strength, when we're not turning to the, our eyes to the God of all creation. Daniel too, who had gone into exile to Babylon a hundred years or so before, knew how to pray. When a law was made that prohibited prayer, we read that when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open towards Jerusalem and he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done. That's in Daniel 6 verse 10. So even when Daniel was told he couldn't pray, he prayed. Nothing was going to stop him because he knew that was the most important thing. If anybody could change a king's heart, it's it's the power of the almighty God, the God of all creation. How could he do that, little Daniel? How could uh, little Nehemiah do that? They were men who had a heart to pray. You see, when we have a burden, then we have a reason to pray. If we struggle with prayer, well, we just need to say, well, what is it that's on your heart? What is your burden? What is your passion? Take that to God in prayer. Whether it's something we're anxious about, or whether it's something that we have a passion for, we want to make happen. If we carry the burden, let's turn it into prayer. Let's lay it before God. When Nehemiah heard the news from Jerusalem, he wrote, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, I prayed to the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and keep his commands, listen to my prayer. Nehemiah was turning his burden into prayer. Nehemiah was not focusing on the immensity of the task. Could he really see the city rebuilt? No, he focused on the immensity of his God, the great I am, the one who was with Moses, who delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. That same God was his God, the great and awesome God who shows unfailing love to those who love him, loved Nehemiah too. In verse 11, Nehemiah says, please grant me success today by making the king favourable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. Well, that's an awesome prayer, isn't it? Only God can answer that prayer. 
He had no power over the king or the king's mood. Only God who could see into the king's heart, who could raise up kings and rulers and bring kings and rulers down from their thrones. Only he could change the heart of a king. Nehemiah put his hope and trust in the God who could do what only God could do, change the heart of a king. So in the first place, Nehemiah had a burden. Secondly, he took that burden to God in prayer. Thirdly, Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 8, when God opened the door, when God answered his prayer, Nehemiah was ready. He was ready to go. You see, it's worth noting that Nehemiah had not just prayed. We've just seen how his first instinct was to come to God in prayer, to fast and pray. He didn't just pray, hoping or believing that God would just do it all in a swish. Nehemiah was ready to become part of the answer to his prayer. You see, he'd been making notes, hadn't he? From the moment his brother and friends returned from Jerusalem in chapter 1, verse 2 to 3, Nehemiah was making notes. He was listening to what they were saying. He was, you know, recording it, retaining it in his mind. He was working it over. He'd been figuring out, well, what would it take? What could he do? What would he need? Is it workable? Can we really believe that the walls can be built again? And when he, and then he realised the sticking point was agreement from the king. But when the king spoke, and when that moment came to speak to the king, to present his request before the king, the king asked, how can I help you? Chapter 2, verse 4, how can I help you? I love that. The king asking Nehemiah, how can I help you? God had moved, changed his heart. God had given him a heart that wanted to help and support Nehemiah in this passion he had. And he was ready. So what does Nehemiah ask for? Well, first of all, verse 5 of chapter 2, he needed time off. Could he go? Could he be released from the palace to go and return to Jerusalem? It would take about four months to get there. So this is a long-term thing. He was going to be gone for a long time. Secondly, he needed visas, verse 7. He needed papers to enable him to pass through the borders to get to uh, Jerusalem. Things are no different then as they are now. If you want to travel from one place to another, you need to be able to get past the people who controlled the roads and the trade routes. Thirdly, verse 8, he needed materials when he got there. He wanted permission, a letter to allow him to get timber from the king's forests. See, there are two extremes Christians fall into. On the one hand, we might try and do things in our own strength and don't think to pray and depend upon God. On the other hand, we might simply pray for change, but never imagine ourselves being part of the answer to our own prayers. But here, Nehemiah models great prayer. Because on the one hand, he's reaching out to the God of all creation. But on the other hand, while he's doing that, he's making plans. He's believing that God would help him shape his plans and get his plans in, in, into something that will work, that, that you know God will open the door to. He's getting himself ready so that he can step out in faith when the opportunity comes. Because what we see is that the king said yes to all of Nehemiah's requests. But more importantly, not just the king had said yes, but by the king responding positively to Nehemiah's requests, Nehemiah knew that as he had laid this before God, and God had put the idea in his head that he could do this and what he would need. God had said yes to what Nehemiah had it in his heart to do. So look at the end of, of chapter 2, verse 8. Nehemiah writes, 
The king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was upon me. That's brilliant, isn't it? So we want to learn from Nehemiah. We want to learn from Nehemiah for ourselves. You know, whatever it is that's on our hearts, let's pray about it. Whatever burden, whatever passion that God has put on our hearts, pray about it. If it's of God's will, then God will open a door, just like he opened a door for Nehemiah. And then, of course, as God opens the door, we need to be ready to be part of the answer to our prayers. The things that we long for, we too can take a part in that as God enables us. So there's so much to learn from Nehemiah, for ourselves and for the life of our church. What's the vision God has for our church? Let's see God's face. Let's see God's heart. Let's pray what we uh, and work towards what we think God wants for us as we seek to be a, a witness to Christ in our local community. And then when doors open, let's be ready to step through them and uh, do the work that God has called us to do. So let's pause for a moment. Let's just think what... Uh, we think God is saying to us through his word today. And let's say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Well, it's lovely that you could join with us today. I pray you have a great week ahead. And uh, let's just close saying the grace together the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.